So hello, welcome to another episode of Flying High with Flutter. I'm your host, Alan Wyma. Today, I'm with the creator of MQTT Client, Steve Hamblett. Welcome, Steve. How are you? Fine, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on the uh, show. Yeah, well, it's it's good to to have you on because uh, as we're talking about, I, I do hear once in a while people talking about MQTT, but I think a lot of people don't really understand like what is MQTT and why they should use it. I feel like people just kind of use it because people say to use it. I don't know if you've ever heard the same thing or thought the same or not, but that's been my perception. Uh, a lot of people just use things because people say, you know, what do I use? I need, I want to do this thing, right? So maybe yeah. we can help to kind of clear the air about what is MQTT and, uh, you know, let's, let's start from there first. Yeah, um, MQTT is a, a well-established industrial protocol. It's been used in the industry for many years. It was originally uh, made for lightweight exchange of information between constrained devices, constrained boards, and central um, systems. So it's got quite a, a heavy heavy background, you know, of, of usage in, in that world. But um, certainly in later years, uh, it became more of a, more use of IoT platforms. All the major cloud providers, IoT um, subsystems like Google Cloud, AWS use MQTT brokers to things so it's found an inroad into the iot world from its industrial background and it's also used in chat room applications um a lot of people uh, are using it for for the chat room kind of thing because like you say people google and and it comes up what can i use as a chat room application it comes up as mqtt so it just follows on from itself it's actually quite interesting because most of the major chat uh, chat protocols I can think of are actually using like uh, eJabber, you know, like that XML-based uh, chatting, right? Like WhatsApp, I think is, uh, we were talking before the show, you're from, uh, you're from UK, and I know in UK, uh, everybody's using WhatsApp, right? And that's based on, uh, I think it's eJabber protocol, which is like an XML-based yeah. kind of format, right? But I think nobody really knows too much about that one kind of MQTT, as you said, kind of stole the show and people are, <laughs> are talking about that. And it's funny that you mentioned it because actually I've never heard of MQTT using for chat. Yeah. So I thought that's quite surprising to hear that. Um, like, do you know where that came from? Because it's such a, you know, it's not, it's, it was, uh, for, uh, maybe I have so many questions, right? Yeah. <laughs> maybe you can answer that one. And then, cause, cause you also, the other thing I wanted to ask about is you said industry, like yeah. which specific industry, because industry is such a huge term right yeah it would be usually on the large larger end SCADA systems um certainly um utilities companies use it you know engineering companies use it um it's used in industrial control of machines things like that so it's come from a fairly heavy industrial background in its, in its essence um and like i said it's mutated over time uh, the the um, I think one of the reasons it's the, it's used a lot in the chat room area is because it's so simple to map um, topics to people and groups of people in a room. You know, you can easily say uh, if you call a topic Fred, then you're talking to Fred. It's very it, there's nothing hard about it in, in, in that respect. So it's it's fun to use there. Well, I mean, it, it's I was just taking a look at at the Wikipedia page to kind of get a quick idea. Of course, Wikipedia is not a, the best source, but I think it's usually pretty okay. Yeah. Uh, apparently, the MQ and MQTT stands for message queue, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that would mean there there's some kind of queue, right? But I yeah, mean, 
Yeah. How does that kind of work? It's not a direct exchange. It's not a point-to-point messaging system. There is There has to be an MQTT broker, which is a, a service, you know, it's um, and it sits somewhere on the network that all the clients can speak to. And that, that's how the clients exchange information with each other. They send it to the broker and the broker then, depending on what the clients ask for, sends it to other connected clients. So it is a centralized um, uh, protocol. It's not like a Fediverse kind of protocol where everybody can speak, you know, and there's, there's, there's no real central control. So it, it, you do you do need you do need to host a broker somewhere if you use an MQTT. Yeah. Okay, but I mean, we're kind of bringing in some new terms. I know which exactly what you're talking about because I did a lot of work with uh, RabbitMQ, which is kind of similar. I think they have an MQTT like adapter. Yes, they do. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, stuff involved with a message broker, right? So we're talking about MQTT. It's a specifically, it's a protocol, but you have to talk to a broker, right? We're starting to get into, uh, uh, what do you call it? Like an avalanche of new terms. I think we need to start to explain what's going on, right? Because once you say broker and PubSub, I, even a lot of people don't even know what is PubSub, to be honest. Yeah, so, okay. I don't know if you can start to explain some of these bigger topics as we're talking about the stack, right? Maybe we can talk about in terms of like uh, the end-to-end kind of stack, right? So first we have an MQTT client, yeah, right? That would be, you know, such as a Flutter device or some kind of IoT or any kind of device that speaks MQTT. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, you start with a client, you need a number of clients. Um, they can all be on different devices. They can be on any devices that can host, you know, um, whatever language you've got the client in, in this case, Dart, obviously. And they can basically publish or subscribe to what are called topics. So um, if you have a topic called um, sensor status, the client on a particular platform can um, publish to a topic called sensor status that all the other clients can then subscribe to to find out what's going on with your sensor status. So it's pub, sub, but it's a both-way pub, sub. The client that's publishing can also subscribe to topics as well, you know. And the actual um, feeding of the messages to clients who have subscribed is done by the broker. So the intelligence is in the broker. The clients really only maintain the protocol packets, um, uh, you know, which is all in the MQTT spec. There is, a, there is an official spec for this, I suspect, for it. So all the everything has to conform to that. But unlike, um, like you say, RabbitMQ, it's not as it's more lightweight than that. It doesn't have the weight of stored messages um, that, that you can get in in in, in more heavier MQ solutions. It's that the protocol's lighter, and and its facilities aren't, aren't quite as, as as expansive. But it does essentially do the same thing. Yeah. But they hear you say that there's no storing of the messages. Do I hear that properly? It, it, no, there's no there's no actual storage of messages in the broker. It will send you. You can get it to send you the last known message. Yeah, there are the, the protocol does support that, but it's not. It's meant to be more lightweight. If you miss if you miss messages, then it's up to you to ensure that the the person publishing those messages keeps publishing them. You know, status messages generated regularly. So that if you miss some, it doesn't matter. When you reconnect, you get the latest anyway. Yeah, you, you don't need mm. you don't need a big recovery like you would do on 
on, on, on a more of a heavy message giving solution where every message you miss could affect your system. Well, that sounds uh, a little bit annoying to the fact of like, if you're using this for a chatting app and then you're offline for a second, you go back online, you're missing messages, no? Yeah. Um, yes, you can do that. Yeah. If you come offline, you will just get, you, you can ask for the last message or anything, anything you've missed in that gap. Yeah. There is no retransmit um, in the spec. I'm not saying some brokers won't do that, but it's it's not normal to do that in MQTT. Yeah, because that, that, that's where I'm, really that comes to my mind, you know, like, wait, I'll be missing messages if I don't do this properly, right? And I know there's different types of, of message queues. I, I, like I said, I work with RabbitMQ. I think there's uh, an extra queue where they like, replay from beginning to end all the messages that are sent to a topic, which, of course, would be kind of nice, but at the same time could be too many things. Yeah, that's right, yeah. You can use, fil you can use filtering on topics, and there is quality of service indicators. There are three three quality of service levels. There's the the uh, basic one where um, you subscribe to a topic and you listen to messages. If you miss one, then you wouldn't wouldn't know anything about it. You just missed it. If but well, there's there's two other levels of service, two and three, where the protocol exchanges messages. It's more like a, a TCP level protocol where you know you have to acknowledge that you've received a message. And there's an even there's a, and, the, and the level three quality is even higher again. There's a double handshake. So as long as you keep the connection, you do have guarantees that, that you will receive messages. You will know if you don't. But if the connection fails, yeah, that's when you don't necessarily have have the recovery facilities of something like um, MQ. Okay. So do you, I mean, there's different types of these kind of things where it's like at most one message or like at least one message. So yeah. by default, is it just fire and forget? And if you get it, you get it. And if you don't, you don't. And there'll never be a resend of something. Unless, of course, you have the one with the acknowledgement. Yeah. If you, if you use the basic, the basic quos, yeah, um, you publish to a topic and it goes to the broker and you don't know. Whether people, whether the, you know, people have received that message or necessarily whether the broker's processed it, that, that you can use this fire and forget. But if that's really for the where you're publishing constant status messages, so people only really know need to know the last message. If you're publishing a constant stream of messages, yeah, then it's not so it's not so important that you lose some. If you're publishing command messages, where say uh, on a on a UI. A user presses a button to initiate a command. You you really need to know that that's been processed and dealt with properly. Yeah, so that that's your higher cost levels. Um, again, it's it's it was made to be particularly as lightweight as possible because of the because in the early days the devices it was running on were very constrained memory wise and processing wise. You know, they they didn't have the boards that we have now. So there are compromises in um, replay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense, and it's interesting that you have different types of those are those are the what would you call that? Is that called a queue? So it's every broker has many queues, or that's are you talking about? This is on the topic level. It's the topic level that we're talking about with the. It's just topics. Yeah, a topic is, is um, a topic is a name. You could have um, uh, like house, bedroom. Back bedroom. Okay. Yeah. You can set the topic down like that. And you can filter on everything for the house, everything for the upstairs of the house, 
everything for a room in the upstairs of the house. Yeah, but it is a simple topic um, um, subscription and publish method. Yeah, sorry, if you um, you have to know the topics. You can't say to the broker, give me all your topics. You have to know the ones you want. Yeah, so when you design your system, you will know what topics have been created, who's publishing to them, and who needs to subscribe from them. Okay, so we have we have the client that connects. You have uh, the broker that does uh, basically the the what would you call that the dealing right if we're playing blackjack right they'd be like the dealer the one who's kind of handing out all the messages yeah uh you got topics which are the client publishes to and clients also listen from or listen, yeah. listens to my english is getting worse is it published to and listen to i think so it's <laughs> published to and subscribe to which is listened to. Subscribe to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. And, and this is all run over TCP IP, right? Yeah, it's run over TCP. Uh, that can be secure working. Um, it's also run over WebSockets. That can be server-side WebSockets or browser-based WebSockets. Yeah. This is all This is all in the standard of what ports to use and things. So it's all documented, yeah. And, I mean, that's basically it, right? There's, is there anything else that we're missing? Those are all the pieces. All the pieces of what, sorry? Is it all the kind of the big pieces, right? So you got a client, you got a broker, and you have a topic. Those three pieces are what make up basically MQTT, right? Yeah, basically, yeah. Like I say, it's meant to be simple. Yeah, it's meant to be simple. Yeah. Um, as simple as possible, simple as lightweight as, as possible, um, whilst still delivering a certain level of service. Yeah. So uh, it is quite simple to use. Yeah, it is. Yeah, because I'm I'm thinking back to my days of RabbitMQ because that's the one I know the the most. I mean, you have a connection, you got a channel, you got a you have yeah. a queue, you have I think there's even one or two more things. Yeah, it's yeah. it's very complicated but powerful. It's power, much power, more powerful, but um, MQTT is is much lighter weight to say yeah, than that. Yeah. So you've been working with MQTT for some time because it seems like you know it extremely well. Well, yeah, I, when I was working, um, I worked on a lot of um, high-end SCADA systems, and QTT was just one part of that solution, usually. So I've been using it for, using it for many years, uh, in fact, you know, at work. Um, and what happened with the MQTT client, why that came about in, in the dark world was, you know, the usual open-source story of scratching your own itch. I needed one, so I wrote one. Yeah, um, you know, that, that, that's how it came into being. I was looking at using Dart in the IoT world, and I, I wrote a few medium articles on that. And I needed a, a client to connect to Google Cloud's MQTT broker. So that, that's where it came from for Dart, you know. And it really took off from there. I didn't realize at the time how, how popular it sort of would become. Wow. So you're a little bit like a celebrity now in the MQTT world. <laughs> I think I'm the only person that publishes anything to do with MQTT. So, yeah, on, on that basis, yeah. You know, but it, it, I thought it would just be used by um, uh, IoT guys, you know, board, maker board kind of people. And it, it really didn't. It just exploded. But I've got issues from all kinds of users. You wouldn't believe the ingenuity of what people can do to, you know, to, to make this thing into something that it was never really designed for, but they do it anyway. Well, that, that's what engineers do, right? We over-engineer, yeah, yeah. and then we also go on the other end, and we do things that we probably shouldn't be doing. Yeah, what else can I use this for? <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. It's brilliant, really, isn't it? Well, what, what, now I've got me kind of curious. Like, What has been one of the 
most interesting things that people have used uh, your MQTT, MQTT client library for that you know of? Interesting things. Um, we, there was a company in America using it for um, a fairly um, involved um, system that system that they were putting together that they contacted me about um, for, for some support on that. And that was quite, their system was quite interesting. You know, it's certainly a, a system that I didn't think you would use the MQTT in, where you would probably use something like you said, a bit more heavy like MQ, but no, they, they wanted MQTT and they made it work. Um, but I think the more interesting thing to me is the, is the, is the people using it just for message exchange, um, purely as a, as a lightweight message exchanger. I've got lots of issues in the all over the years, five years now, by the way. It's been going, <laughs> uh, but you know about and the, the vast majority of the users do seem to be using it in that in that manner. So it's quite interesting, really. Okay, wow. I mean, for, I didn't know it was that long. Five years. Wow, that's that's a long time to be working on a project, right? I mean, has things changed a lot since since when you first did it to now? Um, the basic functionality hasn't changed. A lot of users requested. Um, also reconnect. Originally, if you lost the connection, you could monitor it, then you had to connect yourself. Uh, but I put an auto reconnect functionality in that. That was a big boon to a lot of users. You know, that, that again made it far more useful to people. So that's really the only big thing that's been added. Yes, there's been bugs, obviously. You know, when you publish a package, you have to maintain it. Yeah. So over the years, I've been maintaining, fixing, fixing the bugs that have been reported, enhancing it. Um, for some users, were you know were needed, but main, package maintenance is part of um, part of your life, isn't it? In in us, in the, because you can't you know you don't just publish something then abandon it or leave it. Or, you know you you have to you have to maintain if you use this, and that's where the that's where the the payback comes because you get people raising issues saying if it wasn't for this package I wouldn't be able to do you know what I'm doing now at work and things like this, and it's really good in in, in that respect. Okay, that that's got to be a great feeling, right? That you're kind of some of the backbone of some of these uh, interesting projects, now. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, and um, it it makes it worthwhile because, as you know, a lot of open source guys, when you're working a full time job, it's difficult to find the time to maintain your open source work. You know, especially when you have more than one package. I think I've got about I don't know how many it is now, ten, um, which I've been made back to 2013, in fact, uh, for one of them. So yeah, it can be difficult juggling time, you know, but your users, uh, your users can get stuck without you helping them. So you you find the time, you know, and it is a good payback when they when you get thanks for it. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that that's always the trickiest part. I, I know so many people who've been burnt out in open source because, uh, I mean, in some communities, right? You you don't you don't get a thank you. You get a why is this thing you know not better? Where is this feature? And you get this kind of not so nice language right yeah um fortunately with certainly with the issues i've had on the on, on my packages in general i don't know whether it's just because it's the dark footer community um it tends not to be like that it tends to be constructive but you but you, you do get the odd person you know um that uh, says why have you not done this as you say why have you not done this just well no one's asked for it so well i'm asking for it you know fine i'll put it on the list but if no one else does you know, they don't expect it to be done quickly because there are other features that lots of other people are asking for, for instance. So, you know, you concentrate on what most of your users want, don't you? Or I do. Yeah. 
Well, I'm also kind of curious too, because to me, um, I'm, of course, I don't have as many years as you do probably in programming, but I've been around for some time and, and my kind of understanding is most of the Flutter community is quite young, right? There's still, this may be their first and maybe only programming language and framework, right? Uh, sorry, I think I said Flutter, but Flutter, Dart, you know, they're kind of almost one of the same at this point. Yeah. Um, I mean, has there been like some, I don't know, I, I like, do you feel that that's made things I don't even know what you even call that, like more interesting, because like you said, you've been working with other languages in the past, right? Because you're going to get people asking questions and you're like, oh, this is, you know, this is so obvious or I never thought about that. Sometimes people say, hey, because he doesn't have that baggage of 30 years of Java, he's actually asked me a question that I never thought about. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, I've been constantly surprised, like say, what usage it's been put to and the the questions that that, that I have been asked. You know, I sometimes think, well, why, what are they trying to do with this? You know, but um, you never, um, there's never a dumb question. Um, users, are, your users are your users, and if they need help, then you should help them. You know, I certainly yeah. wouldn't talk to my open source users like I, I did to guys at work who I've been working with for 20 years. You know, because they they shouldn't be asking dumb questions. You know, <laughs> they, they, they really shouldn't be. But yeah. what your users who are using your package, yeah. Ask anything, and I will try and help you. You know, even if you go over the same ground over and over again, it, it doesn't matter to me. You, you've got to be helpful as you can. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I, I mean, when you're talking about the auto reconnect feature, like, was your first thought like, oh, I mean, you can monitor it, you can just reconnect it. Like, why do you, why do you need this auto reconnect? What made you kind of change your mind? Basically, the users. I, I got a couple of users asking for it, and I got more. And I got more users asking for it, so I thought, well, although there is a this is manual way of doing it, there's a disconnect callback. So when you get disconnected, it disconnects you, yeah, and you can just manually inst- instigate the connection again. And I thought that would be sufficient, but um, a lot of users said it would be really. Good. We want this to be unattended. Can you automatically retry connection for us, yeah, and only tell us when you give up or it fails? And, I looked, I looked at the problem. Uh, it wasn't particularly easy to, to, to fix, but it was doable. So we actually, I actually built that in. That was the last big update to the package. And it was, it was well received, you know. Um, so, we, so it was worth doing, if you see what I mean. You get that feeling that this wasn't in vain. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the more interesting kind of thing to me is sometimes I may want to have a custom back-off strategy, right? Like, why am I losing con- the connection? Is it the guy's in an airplane and he's got his phone on and he's not able to connect because he's in airplane mode. You know what I mean? Like that's the kind of thoughts that come to my mind. And obviously, you know, you'd obviously say, okay, well, am I in airplane mode? Oh, I am. Then don't bother to reconnect. Right. Like, so, you know, yeah. I, I like the original idea almost more because it, it's, yeah, it's, it's slightly more work, but at the same time I can really customize it because sometimes you have really weird situations that happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That that would be my that was my original view. You know, give the user the means yeah. to do what he wants to do as easily as as he can. Yeah, but um, some users did want this this like I said this auto reconnect functionality to just to just work. They didn't want yeah. to do the manual side. They didn't want to monitor the platform to see if they've gone from wireless to GSM and are they in background and has it disconnected and you know etc. They just wanted something to try again and tell me if it worked. So that, that's how it ended up. But you're right. I personally, I think it's far more flexible. If you know your use case, then you, it's more flexible to do it yourself. Yeah. 
Well, well now I'm kind of curious, like, so because you and I both know that things happen, right? And yeah. I would call it shit happens, basically. Yeah, it does. All the time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, partitions happen all the time, let alone, like, who knows what. Like you said, switching from Wi-Fi to GSM, that's a disconnect, right? Yeah. Airplane mode, that's a disconnect. Switching apps could potentially be a disconnect. Uh, Killing the app, obviously, is a disconnect. There's so many ways that you can disconnect. Uh, What kind of strategy did you think was going to be a good case to cover uh, a majority? Because I'm I'm sure you, you probably didn't cover all possible cases because that's nearly impossible. No, um, I took the decision early on not to get involved with what the platform is doing. That is definitely in the user's hand. I mean, say you take an Android app that goes into background. Yeah, the the clients may just disconnect and that's all the client needs to do. It doesn't need to know why. That's really up to the user, you know, and to bring it. And what happens when it comes out of background? What happens when you change networks? What happens when you... Like you say, go into airplane mode. The client can't possibly cater for every single thing that could happen on the network or on a mobile device. Yeah, it's not possible. So my my approach was to give enough facility in the package and enough you know callbacks and methods on the class so that the user could do what they needed to do flexibly, you know, in a flexible manner, so that so that they could build whatever resilience they wanted. Yeah, the, the client really only gives them the resilience of the MQTT protocol. Yeah, and, and you have a very interesting uh, name on pub.dev. Is that Darticulate? Yeah, uh, it's, <laughs> it's the English word articulate, yeah, which means you're yeah. versed in something. And I just put a D on the front because it was dart. So you're yeah. versed in dart, you're darticulate. Um, seemed, seemed appropriate at the time. It's just stuck over the years now. <laughs> Sorry, I was just taking a look. I just want to see more about your package as we're chatting. See if anything else is coming to mind. Yeah, but I, I like that you know you you add this stuff. It's interesting about iOS. You have to add this add NS Bonjour services. Yeah, uh, I never even seen that before. Yeah, that was that was contribu- contributed by one of the users. The users do contribute stuff, you know, um, that, that they find. I've never used it on iOS to be honest with you. And the users come to me and say, hey, this is a good tip for other iOS users. And that gets incorporated into the documentation where I can. Yeah. Um, there's lots of examples in the examples directory. That's come in very handy over the years. So I've had users contribute AWS examples. And it just builds up over time, you know, from what your users are contributing to you as well. It's not, it's not all just you. And this is some, some good stuff in here. It's, Coming, it's getting fairly mature now. Um, you can tell by the amount of bugs that are raised, issues that are raised, and now falling off a little bit compared to say a peak of two, two maybe three years ago, when you had the rush of usage plus the rush of new users plus um, the web bugs, obviously. So it seems to be dying off a little bit now. So, which I think is a good thing. This is interesting. Yeah, you just have also have some people just asking questions on here. How do I do this? How do I do that? On your issues, it's interesting. Yeah, that's that's where you know there's no such thing as a dumb question. Um, even though I've been asked it about eighty times before, you still, you know, have a look at this example or read this bit of the spec or you, you know don't don't um, don't dismiss them as oh go and read the docs. I, I don't like doing that. I have on occasion. It gets frustrating sometimes when you're busy and under pressure. You know. Um, but um, I really, I really can't 
beat myself up about it when I do it. I often go back on the post and sort of apologise and say sorry about that reply. I was a bit, you know, tired at the time kind of thing. But um, I really try to help the users. You have some pretty big numbering over here, though. You went from 1.0 all the way up to 10.0 as a release release, right? That's some big changes, right, if you're following semantic versioning. Yeah, that's right. Um, obviously, if we, if, we, if we change the API in any way on the, on the, on the main class, um, we up version. But two of those, two of those large ones were transition to Dart 2 and transition to Dart 3. Yeah. Um, semantically, they really shouldn't have run up version number, but, but I do it to see, I can see a visible breakpoint there. Um, it's just for me, really. And yeah, the others have been um, enough of change in the main API. Yeah. To, and, uh, to, to, to warrant it. But over, that's over five years. That's only, what, two a year? doesn't look that bad from that. That was quite big, though, because most libraries, I mean, there's so many libraries nowadays that don't even hit 10. Or sorry, they don't even hit one. They stay zero dot whatever for forever. Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, I've seen it. Um, I, I don't know why. I don't know why, why, why people would do it. But it's their package. You know, they can, they can, they can number it as they wish, can't they, people? Yeah. Well, I, I know of one package I actually use in production a lot. It's, it's not even hit 1.0 for between three to five years. But yeah. they're still trying to figure out their API because they keep adding more and more good features. So it's like, well, how can I go one hour when I keep adding in new new stuff? I mean, I'm not ready <laughs> to make the commit yet, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And plus the fact you don't want to go from one hour to, say, two and have a massive amount of stuff put in and make it so different, you know? Um, the, the reason, One of the reasons I do, I do the release little and often is you don't you don't, you rarely get that massive change of it looks completely different because it shocks your users you know then you start getting issues you know why you've changed this why have you done that i don't understand this anymore so i try and avoid that where possible oh god you're starting to remind me of like you know i've seen so many people complain like oh i just upgraded and like i have to completely rewrite my entire app you know like you really ruined my day right yeah yeah i I would hope that I haven't done that on any of my packages um, to people. That I have strived not to do that. Yeah, you may yeah. find some that they would disagree with me, but that, that is a definite goal of. of um, it, it's I know how difficult it is to rewrite things when libraries suddenly change, not just in the yeah. software world in general. You know, it can be quite a, quite a burden. So I do, I do definitely try and avoid that. Well, I, this is just, it's cool that you got the, the Dart 3 already because so many libraries are not quite ready yet, right? And not everybody's going to be on the Dart 3 yet. Uh, are you going to be maintaining like two forks, like one that's Dart 2 and then, you know, Dart 3 and then eventually stop supporting Dart 2 or you just jumped around to Dart 3 and said, forget it? Well, I moved to Dart 3 as soon as it came out. That was packet, uh, version 10. Now, if you still want to stay on 2, you can just use the version underneath it. Or whatever. I can't remember what version it was now. Nine seven something or other. Um, the ten version is just Dart three. It's not ten plus loads of fixes, so you're not losing anything by using nine seven one if you want to stay on Dart two. However, any fixes that go in now will go on top of ten, so eventually it will fall away. Yeah, but eventually people should be adopting Dart three anyway. Yeah, so it's just a break point now, so, so we can pull away from. Um, but yeah, uh, like I wouldn't rip the cap out of under people and say, you can now only use this package on Dart 3. Yeah, that's it's too much, like I say, it's too much of an ask, really. 
I mean, if you're trying to get the latest version, it's the, you're kind of asking that right now, right? I mean, I know what you're saying. Like, it's just the migration. But at the same time, I mean, like you said, anything new, they'll be missing yeah. out. Anything new, they will be missing out, yeah. Like I said, but hopefully they will transition eventually. I, I, I imagine the whole ecosystem will transition eventually. Then they'll pick up they'll pick up what they need. Obviously, they only need the new things if they need it. They may not need it anyway, yeah. So um, until I get issues of people shouting at me about it, uh, if, if I ever do, uh, that, 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 that's the kind of thing I follow across all my packages, in fact. You know, I, I'm actually so curious right now about um, you know your your background, right? So because I went, look, I just browsing through the README, and you mentioned that this is a port of a C sharp, and I think you mentioned that you worked with Java before, right? So did you start off working with Java initially? No, um, not Java. C C C plus plus initially. That was I, I started. I, I started in 1985. It's very old, very old. I retired last year, in fact, from a permanent job. Uh, took your pension, so now I've got a lot more time to devote to that and the packages, which is good. Yeah, good for me. But yeah, uh, no, starting the C C plus plus C C C plus plus world, uh, laterally C sharp. Yeah, and one of the I've done this a few times with my packages. One of the fastest ways of say I want a dynamic client, but I want it now. Yeah, because I'm doing something. And I think if you can look at an existing that MPTT client. Yeah, and another language that you're comfortable with, like C++ or C sharp, that's well tested, seems to seems to have a good user base. You know, doesn't have too many issues. The guy's been maintaining it for years. It's easier to start with that and port it to that, I find, than it is to work out the protocol and create one from scratch in Dart. Although that doing it that way, it would be more Dart like. It would be more like idiomatic Dart. Porting from another language, you always end up with um, compromises, yeah? But obviously, you have to know that other language in as much depth as you know Dart to do it with. But I've certainly found that um, a, a useful starting point when you want something relatively quickly. So, yeah, that, that's what I'm with MQTT. It's also got a sister package, MQTT5 client, which is exactly the same look at the MQTT5 protocol. So... Um, yeah, uh, it's just it's just a, an easier way of putting it together. Well, I'm I'm just kind of curious about like what got you into Dart to begin with because it is such a I don't know it's such a kind of a niche language like because you're you're mostly you're mostly working with Dart not really Flutter right? Yeah, I, when it first came out, I think it was was it 2011 or 2012? I can't remember now. And um, yeah, I, I was always fascinated. I was fascinated by the fact that you could. Um, run it in it and run it in the browser at the same time. You know, we always struggled with at work, uh, you know, uh, separating. You, you probably know all this front end from back end kind of stuff. And I just got into it. I, I just stuck with it. And over time, of course, it's got massively better now. We can, we've got AOT, um, uh, the Wasm's coming on stream soon, isn't it? Risk Vibes coming on stream. Um, Flutter gave it a big boost. Um, yeah, I, I do use Flutter. I, I do some, but only for Linux desktop development. I put some little apps together for me. I certainly am not uh, a mobile developer. I don't develop for Android or, or iOS, which I'm guessing, guessing is where a lot of Flutter is. Yeah, well, yeah, that's what it originally came out for, right? It's, it's kind of weird. It, 
I, I can't remember what I think if I remember correctly, like first it was for like web apps and then for some reason they, they tore out the web part and stuck with Android iOS and then yeah. they went back to web and then they had the desktop suddenly. And then and it could also run on supposedly what I remember, but I haven't seen anybody talking about it for a while, which was you could run it on like it was is it called the UWP or something? The 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 Windows yeah, there is something called UWP. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, that's also what Xbox has, I believe. So they said that you could actually write a Flutter app and run it on your Xbox. Right. Supposedly, okay. but they haven't talked about this in a while. I'm not. I'm no expert in in, in, in that aspect of it. But I know Flutter itself. You now, you, there's a, a sort of a constraint Flutter for, for more constrained devices being put together. I think it's called Tiny Flutter. Okay, I never heard that. Yeah. There's a, there's all is it Tiny Flutter? There's also Flutter. Um, Flutter engines being developed. Um, I keep an eye on all this, although because I don't use it, you know, I'm, I don't have the, have the detailed knowledge. But Flutter seems to be developing away from from what it originally, what they originally thought about it. But these things happen, don't they? You know? Well, I mean, originally Dart was for kind of like trying to write a better JavaScript or something like that, right? And now it's like it's yeah. a little bit neglected. I think, you know, going from Dart to JavaScript, I think is. To me, I feel like it's barely maintained. But again, I'm just kind of talking right now. But, you know, that's yeah. what I feel like in terms of the way it's going in other ways. For my, for like, for my, um, for my aspect, so you talk about the MQTT client, it's, there's a browser-based. You know, you can use it in the browser. To me, it, it just works. I, I don't have any big feeling on how good the JavaScript that it produces is, you know. Um, it, it does just work, though. The tooling just works. So... You know, uh, fair play to it. I, I don't need to know anymore if you see what I mean. Um, but um, yeah, it's it certainly developed from from where it originally came from. You know, in what can we do with that? Yeah, uh, I'm I'm pretty happy for it. Like now is now I'm kind of curious, right? Because uh, I have my own opinion. I'm not going to say what my opinion is, but uh, you've already you've already upgraded to Dart three, right? You've seen all the features that Dart three has. As someone who's been around the block a couple of times, how do you feel about these new features? Do you feel that they're they're good, they're okay, or you know what? You, what's your kind of feeling about them? Um, they're okay. I, I don't see anything, you know, that we couldn't live without. Maybe the the, the extra visibility on classes is a good idea um, to to you know to limit what people can do. You can't extend final classes, etc. And maybe the records. I think the things like the records came in. Again, my opinion. You can shoot me down. Please do if if, if you disagree. It was mainly to support how Flutter works. You know, with error handling, it, it's quite good. You can return a, 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 from from a, from a from a method or function. You can return a value and an error code at the same time. You know, so you can check. Um, has it worked? Yes, this is the answer. No, it hasn't. This is the error code kind of thing, which you can do in, in, in other languages. So, but that 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 to me, um, there was there, there was already a package that, that allowed you to do that. Its name escapes me, but I, I don't think it's it added. It's good. Don't get me wrong. It's better than it was, and and this, you can switch on these results and things. Um, but was it? It's, it's it wasn't as big a step as start two with no safety. Um, it wasn't that that kind of leap, you know. Yeah, to, to me, I feel like the records, because records are basically like tuples, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I see it as somebody, like I do a lot of um, functional programming. 
and with a lot of pattern matching, right? And so to me, if you're going to have pattern matching, then you definitely need to have tuples because that's yeah. kind of, they kind of go hand in hand, right? Yeah, and, and I'm sure it will be useful and people will use it and do more things with that, you know? Will, will I ever... Will ever use it? Yeah, if it's if it, if I need it, I'll use it. If it's there, it's there, isn't it? It it it, it, it stops you. It doesn't limit you. Uh, adding things gives you more flexibility to create better. Well, now that now that I actually I found it to be very interesting because you said that the records is more of a flutter thing. I, I've never thought anything like that. That's quite interesting. Like, do you have a reason why you think like that? Because I didn't I didn't quite hear it. Yeah, sorry. I, I just get the impression that some of the upgrades to the language um, are done to make it easier for the Flutter guys to do Flutter. Yeah, um, it could be, yeah. I know, so was it the array, the, was it the spread operator, the dot, dot, dot in, in arrays? Didn't seem to be a great, a great deal of use, certainly for for me, for that, you know, packages. But, great, but it is for the Flutter. It, 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 it gets rid of a lot of boilerplate, yeah, in the, in, in the Flutter code. So, um, but you can't, I mean, you can argue against that by saying, well, like you say, you need tuples. If you're doing functional programming or pattern matching, you need tuples. So the language needed it. You know, you can take that, you can take that as well. Um, you can't say it was done for Flutter. You, you'd never win that. Yeah, I, I've never thought about that. So that, that's interesting. It, it could be. And I think that I wouldn't doubt that there's a lot of stuff that's been looked at extensively because of Flutter, right? Because to be honest, Flutter is probably the biggest thing that Dart's being used on. That I can think of, at least. Yeah, by far. I mean, I, I would go as far to say that if Flutter hadn't have come along when it did, that may well be dead now. You know, really, as an ecosystem, Flutter really moved it forward big time. So, lots, lots, lots to, uh, lots to thank for the Flutter guys, really. You know. So, yeah, if if they have to have a bit of compromise now and again with the language, then so be it. Yeah. Well, I, I just also want to say one more thing, too. Um, if we're talking about, like, you know, features being added and kind of some worry to it, records it do worry me now that I think about it, because I think back to Python, and when I see, like, you know how you can return a tuple or a tuple, however you want to call it, I don't know what you see. Have you ever worked with Python before? Only as... Um... A basic scripting language, you know, to run deploy scripts and terraforming stuff, not as a, a language that I've ever deployed anything in or produced anything in. You know, so I don't know it in, in massive detail, no. Well, what I say I can, I've seen personally is people using, so you can return a tuple, tuple, right? Um, what I've seen is people basically making a giant tuple and returning that tuple because they want to return multiple values from a function. Yeah. And I don't know what you think, but to me, that just sounds like a giant code smell. Yeah, that's obviously, it's, it's, it's like any, nearly everything can be abused, can't it? You know, if you, if you go to extremes with things, yeah, you still need standards. You still would need, um, if you do, uh, anybody using it in the more professional way have coding standards, you would need uh, a coding standard to say, hang on, we've got too many. You're doing too much here with this return value, you know, kind of thing. Maybe Linter would pick it up um, and say, this is, you're returning a lot from here. Do you know, do you want to do this? You know, and suggest alternative ways of doing it. But yeah, um, but if people are going to do that, they're going to do that, aren't they? You know, you can't stop them really. 
Yeah, that's, this is true. But sometimes I do want to, you know, reach over and kill that person when I see some, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. I don't know about you, but that really bugs the hell out of me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. But uh, this world isn't that still so world, you know. Some of it's a bit um, rough at the edges. Yeah, I, I think that some people, I mean, I, I interviewed um, the creator of Curl, right? And oh, right. Uh, yeah, and and it's it's interesting to to hear him because it's like, you know, his stuff is used basically everywhere, everywhere. Yeah. Like on like space shuttles and stuff. It's like you never really worry that you know your yeah. library may have some bug and somebody may may die because it's used like everywhere. I worked many years in the nuclear sector in the UK, and um, I just finished a three month contract back on one of the stations, and that uses Perl scripts back from the mid nineties. And it really is hard. It's a right once language because you can read oh, it again. Yeah. What on earth does this mean? It looks like hieroglyphics, you know. It's really hard, you know, um, to, to get your head into something like that. I mean, at the time, the guys that wrote it at the time were wizards. But from a maintenance aspect, Perl is not the language to use at all. I don't, I don't even know what, how I would describe it, right? Because I worked in a company a finance vendor, right? And, uh, you know, there's software engineers and then there was the guys who basically did support, which was just keeping the system running. And the guys that kept the system running had their own system that they created. And, you know, these guys are what I would call script kiddies, whether or not you want to think it's positive or negative. They know scripting languages and they're old school. So that means that they're Perl experts. So they wrote very complicated, as you said, very complicated, very giant, Perl systems that ran with, I think, YAML or something crazy. It's yeah. Like, what? <laughs> and this thing like had queuing system and everything else in Perl. I was like, oh my god. God. Yeah. And like you said, yeah. yeah. It's um, the problem is you're very frightened to touch it. I, I wasn't confident on changing it. I had to, uh, you know, there was a. Luckily, we had the author who knew this kind. It was he retired many years ago. He was seventy-one. I had to phone him a few times and say, okay. "Do you remember what this is supposed to be doing, guy? You know, um, give us a give us a help here. If I change this line, I don't want the whole server to be to be compromised or anything." But it's but it's quite interesting. The old stuff, you know, it's quite interesting to work on the old stuff. But it does have a lot of challenges. Yeah. Well, isn't isn't your favorite thing to see in the code? Don't remove this line, or else bad things will happen. Something like that? Yeah, yeah, or even worse, there's no line in there to say that. <laughs> and you think it is okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, commenting standards were, were, were not what they are now. Or, or, or the other one, which was like, you see crap code and you're like, oh, I can, I can fix this. I can write this one better. And then you come back, you're like, oh, that's why it's written uh, like that. Yeah. Why did I touch that? Yeah. And you just see lines like you'll have a, an array of something. Uh, strings or something and there'll be a comment saying do not change the altar of this you know do not change yeah the, the, the positioning of, of, of things in this array but it won't say why or what would happen if you did <laughs> so you don't want to add anything to it you don't want to touch it yeah yeah well you'll, you'll find out why when you do change it you do yeah you do yeah yes which is all right on my death box here yeah but not particularly at work <laughs> yeah i guess you're taking me back to to my days that I didn't didn't enjoy. Well, I enjoy them in hindsight, not at the time. <laughs> you know, all those crazy things that would happen. Yeah, that it, it is hard, isn't it? Especially when I you know I spent two before I went back onto that project. I'd spent 
two years on AWS with VMs, terraforming things, modern stuff. And then you go back to Perl and you think, what is this? You know. <laughs> hey, at least you did Terraform, right? I, it, so many people never touch this new, newer stuff. So that, that's, it's 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 tri- it's Terraform is kind of it's nice, but it takes some time to get used to it and to get into it. It's, it takes it does take some time, right? Yeah, when I said we terraform, I mean the the company was terraform. We are terraforming experts for our AWS plan. I, I, yeah. um, you know, if I ever needed to do anything, I'd go to them first, or they'd already have something. You know, what it, it, it does. You have to think differently when you you, you have to think of the of the architecture of what, of what you're building in a different way to any other code package. But you get there in the end with the right people. It all comes down to people, doesn't it? You got the right people around you. It's a lot easier. To be honest, I don't know which is more difficult, Terraform or just learning your way around AWS to begin with. Both of them are quite beasts. Yeah, um, I, I did it that I did it that way. I learned my way around AWS to begin with. Yeah, before I went anywhere near near the Terraform and stuff. Um, doesn't help me particularly either because at work it was AWS. My cloud is Google Cloud. Yeah, so I I'm into that more. And although, you know, the cloud providers are the cloud providers and they all basically do the same thing and they call it different names. It can be different. Can be different yeah. You know, my, my favorite, I don't, know if you, I, I don't know if you ever listened to podcasts before, but my favorite Google Cloud moment was, so I'm in Hong Kong. They opened up a uh, data center in Hong Kong and, of course, they gave, they gave out credits like crazy. So I had a credits and I wanted to open up a Kubernetes cluster and I tried it and it failed. And I kept trying, I kept failing. Um, so I was like, what, what, what the hell's going on? You know? And I checked, you know, is there any status for what's going, you know, there's a problem. No, everything's green. I sent the support ticket, got them on the phone. They said, oh yeah, no, we, we know it's broken. Okay. So yeah, yeah, it's like, so, so what's, what's, when's it going to be fixed? Oh, we don't know. So is there like a mailing list or something? I, no, no, no. You, you just keep trying. And when it works, you know, it's fixed. That was their actual answer to me. Keep trying. If it works, it's fixed. Yeah, which doesn't really help, does it? Unfortunately, <laughs> that's that's the advantage of working at a large corporate where they they pay the money for the very fastest response you can get. You know, we need this working now. Help us. But you need, but it's, you need to pay for that, don't you? Yeah. At least I mean, I had a lot more fun on AWS in terms of like you can get like that support. Uh, you can probably get the same thing in Google Cloud, right? But I know before I had a company, I was at like we had actual support. The guy would call us. It was like hand-holding over the phone. Like, okay, you press this option. Oh, yeah, good job. You're doing a good job. And I feel good. Oh, yeah, thank you. Oh, yeah. You know, like you get that kind <laughs> yeah. of hand-holding. It feels good. And you actually learn a lot. And they spend time with you. But, yeah, so if you, if you, if you can afford it, definitely get support. It's much helpful. Yeah. It, it, it does work most of the time, though, doesn't it? Like I said, you're only really needed when it fails. But when it fails, um, you, do, you do need support, yeah. Sometimes, all right. We we kind of drifted off quite a lot of topics, but uh, it's, it's, it's still good to kind of catch up over some of this stuff. Uh, but kind of coming right back, right? So uh, MQTT. I'd like to kind of wrap up about the MQTT client and kind of talk about you know. Obviously, we we talked about what what are some good use cases for it. Now, as somebody who's played around MQ, MQTT for quite some time, I always like to hear the opposite. Like, when would I not want to use MQTT? Do you have some some situations? What I'd start looking at now, don't forget, we're now moving into an age where boards, as we as they used to be, you know, with these smaller single processor boards, are massively more powerful now than they were 
you know, even two years ago, you know, you were getting maker boards with GPUs on them and all kinds of, you know, with the edge intelligence, artificial intelligence and edge processing, massively powerful ARM processors. You don't necessarily need anymore to look at MQTT as a, a lightweight solution for message exchange in constrained environments because the environments are very rarely constrained, you know, these days. There may be much better coming on. MQTT, like everything else in the world, will be replaced eventually with something that's better, yeah? So I, I would say certainly, even if you're in the home IoT kind of guy who does his own home, his own home automation, if MQTT works for you, then by all means use it. But look at other more modern solutions before before you start, you know, in, in the, from where we are now. Yeah, and you might find something better. So um, hopefully it'll still have a, lot, have a, long, a longish life, but it, it will come to an end eventually. Okay, it's interesting to me. I, I everybody keeps saying things are going to end, and like you said, you're calling, you're phoning up the guy who's seventy years old at home who can maybe doesn't even know who he is anymore. He's yeah, bit, right. might be way past that prime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I I know um, I know installations that are twenty five, maybe even thirty year old now that are still running MQTT. So um, and they're still being maintained, and they will be for a little while. So it's not going away anytime soon. But it, um, I'm sure something will spring up. You know, the, the open source world's like that, isn't it? Some, somebody will say, we can do this better now because we've got better uh, platforms, more powerful platforms. We can do something else um, and see what happens. I almost think that maybe we should treat it like cobalt, you know. Learn MQTT because someday when nobody else knows it, you'll know it and you'll get nice, a nice payment from it. Yeah, you'll be the only MQTT developer out there, and you know it'll be a government contract forever, and you'll just be sat there doing stuff. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, possible, possible. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, it's it was good to have you on, and, and nice to kind of talk about you know different stuff besides MQTT, but also it's good to hear about MQTT because I always hear about it. I don't know enough about it, but now I feel I know enough to understand you know what it is and if I want to use it or not. Good, yeah. That's, um, hope your listeners uh, are okay and use the MQTT client if you wish to do so. Yeah, so it's MQTT underscore client, right? So if people are interested to check it out. And, uh, yep. And uh can find you on, on uh, Git, GitHub. Uh, GitHub, is it slash Shamblet? Yeah, GitHub, GitHub name is Shamblet. S-H-A-M-B-L-E-T, yeah. Uh, it's all linked from the um, MQTT client page in Pub, GitHub, my, my articulate. You know, it's all, if you start there, you can get to everything. Everything I've, I've, got, I've got read. Awesome. Well, again, thank you for coming on. And uh, I'm looking forward to any new kind of big updates that you're working on these days. And now that you have so much free time, you might have one of those shower moments where you have a brand new idea that you want to start coding out soon. Yeah, um, I've been... Spending time catching up on issues that I should have really got around to a long time ago. So I've been tidying up the rest of my packages in that sense. But yeah, I'm obviously thinking of uh, other things now. So um, I'm open to suggestion. Um, I have a few ideas myself, you know, just to, just, just to get the ball rolling again. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it, to be honest. All right. Well, looking forward to seeing what some of these new ideas are and uh, let's see what, see what comes out of it. Yeah. Awesome. Again, thanks for coming on. Okay, thank you.